This is Evercore Edge, Evercore's thought leader sharing insights on today's markets and events. Welcome to this episode of Evercore Edge. I'm Joyce Upchengo, Senior Managing Director in Evercore Private Capital Advisory Group. I'm joined today by Nigel Don, Global Head of Private Capital Advisory. Nigel, you've been advising private market clients on a variety of liquidity solutions for the past 20 plus years. What's been the evolution for you in terms of what you witness in the secondary market, which has some incredible growth? Yeah, well, thanks for the invitation today. Appreciate it, Joy. Um, I think 20 years ago that the secondary market essentially did not exist like it does today. It was a market with around $6 billion of annual volume that has increased to $130 billion a year ago. And um, a medium-sized secondary fund right now is around $6 billion. So we've seen a huge growth in the size of the market. I think the uh, other area of growth is sophistication in the market. Whereas um, 20 years ago, the market was simply a transfer of an LP interest. And at the time, that was extremely unusual. It was essentially considered an illiquid asset class. And a limited partner asking a general partner uh, for a transfer was around the same as asking your spouse for a divorce. So it was it was taboo. And not a great quite, conversation. Not a great conversation to have. Pretty pretty unusual. Today it is normal business. There's an expectation that even though it is an illiquid asset class, there is an active secondary market with a very very developed uh, investor base. And the second thing is that while this started off predominantly an LP market, the application uh, for GPs as well in um, executing what have come to be known as continuation funds has uh, meant that it's, it's relevant for both general partners and limited partners. And maybe the third thing, and this is where Evercore has a specific expertise and recent experience, is issuing securitized uh, bonds where the underlying asset class is private equity, which we've just done for a client. So one of our limited partner clients can seek liquidity through either selling their assets or securitizing it or financing their assets. So from, from an LP's perspective, there are now multiple ways to win when it comes to the secondary market. I mean, there's really been a shift, a massive shift in perception, right? You talk about with, with Hugh recently on, on his dry powder episode, and there's been a huge shift in perception where historically, as you mentioned, all the LP-driven sales have been marked by LPs with issues. And even the GPs on the early days when they were doing these transactions were GPs with problem assets, a problem with the franchise. And there's a taboo, as you mentioned. But now it's really viewed as a, a really important tool, a really sophisticated tool, a creative tool for people to access both on the LP and GP side. What do you think has contributed to what's been some of the catalysts behind some of that change in perception? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great point. I think firstly, from an LP's perspective, firstly, this is a strategic tool to manage distributions in their portfolio. So in times when the distributions are down, they can use the secondary market to generate capital. And for a lot of LPs, it's a relative value transaction. I will sell certain assets so I can invest in others. And we've seen that more and more strategic use of the secondary market. And for a GP as well, who, you know, traditionally has had to sell some of their best assets to generate returns to their investors that would allow them to come back and raise their next fund. 
that um, a continuation fund with what could be considered one of their trophy trophy assets uh, is a tool that will allow them to keep their best assets, share the uh, the returns with their investors, but continue to own the asset. But in terms of the catalyst going back over the last um, twenty years or so, I think I think we started the great financial crisis where there was a great liquidity price crisis where LPs were not receiving any distributions, allowed them to, you know, g- generate liquidity into the portfolios so they, they could reinvest. And this was in an era where many LPs were over allocated to the asset class as they are today, because there was a period of time where it was impossible to sell an underlying portfolio company at fair value. And that is exactly the the uh, the situation we find ourselves today and from from that moment when selling became much more common uh we've i think we've seen an acceleration in um the application of this particular product yeah and that was global financial crisis and then fast forward to the pandemic that was another turning point right continuation fund has existed in multiple of uh, of iterations before but now the continuation funds that we're seeing today is really the technology for for GPs to provide LPs with liquidity options, right? Yes. I mean, how how should LPs, um, I know why it's important for GPs to think about it in this type of fundraising environment. Why is it, uh, how should an LP think about this in the context of their own portfolio management? Yeah, I think from, from an LP's uh, perspective, um, I think they should think about this as a good tool, um, you know, in a situation where they provided good options uh, from the GP in that it allows them to remain invested in a GP's trophy asset for a longer period of time. And in the LP community, the, the, over the last 20 years, these core funds have been developed, which are very, very long-term private equity funds, which all LPs don't love. And the traditional vehicle is a 10-year fund. Continuation funds sit between the core fund and the regular 10-year fund in that a GP can decide once they've evaluated the performance of companies, which ones may uh, warrant holding longer and you know, allowing them to, to, to share the returns with their investors going forward, rather than, for example, selling to another GP so they generate uh, distributions to fundraise. So it's created an additional uh, a tool for, L- for GPs and LPs um, to create liquidity. There's been a lot of crossover in the, these asset classes, right? When you talk about kind of this being in between the two structures that exist, also on the investment side, it seems like you know these single asset continuation funds are also eating into the whole co-investment uh, bucket as well. And I think over time, do you think that that will translate into more dry powder? We, we didn't touch upon kind of the growth in the market. Um, I mean, historically, it's been a phenomenal growth. Do you think that's sustainable? And like, where is the capital going to come from? Yeah, I mean, what we see right now is that um, a co-investment, for example, is typically in a company that is brand new to the GP. So they don't really know if it's going to be the best or worst performing asset in, in, the, in their fund. Um, and that's the risk the LP takes. In a continuation fund, the GP already knows it's a great performing asset. They know the management team. They want to hold it longer because they believe in the mm-hmm. upside. So on a risk-adjusted basis, automatically a, uh, a, a continuation fund with one company is a lower risk. The, the performance of these vehicles, one would expect to be better over time than co-investments because there's positive selection bias 
uh, from the GPs, and one would expect a lower volatility of returns. Um, you know, you know, you know, simply because um, returns have already been generated that are good, there'll be a certain amount of upside. So over time, as uh, performance in continuation funds is crystallized, um, I think what that will show is that they will the performance of these vehicles will be very good compared to co-investments. But I think it's fair to say because we're you know early in the innings. Uh, that the the jury is still out. Yeah, we're about four, three or four years in, right, to this That's new trend. Great. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. So we're coming off a really strong year in 2023. I think it's the second record year in in the market for secondary. What you know, what what do you see as the key themes going into 2024? I know it's been very busy already um, on our floor in our team. Um, what what kind of what are some of the major themes heading into the year? Yeah, I think- expect. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, 2020, 2023, as you mentioned, is the second highest uh, market volume ever, which is uh, we reported recently in our uh, survey. That momentum uh, uh, is is moving into 2024 strongly. So we see a tremendous amount of interest uh, both amongst both LPs to generate liquidity because they're still not receiving sufficient cash back from their portfolios to reinvest in private equity. They're still over-allocated. Um, for GPs who, in this environment, are still reticent about selling their portfolio companies at values they feel does not reflect their intrinsic value. So what that would mean is a GP is very interested in using a continuation fund um, or some other similar technology to generate distributions uh, for their investors uh, to allow them to reinvest in subsequent vintages uh, of the fund. So we feel very good about that. And there is record amount of uh, available capital uh, amongst secondary investors to invest in the asset class. So we have the capital available. We have momentum amongst LPs to generate liquidity because they're over-allocated. And from GPs, to sell companies into continuation funds, again, to generate distributions for the LPs so they can reinvest in subsequent vintages. And there's new technologies coming out too, right? We did our first CFO transaction. Absolutely. Um, you know, in, in addition to what we would consider regular way limited partner sales or continuation fund vehicles, we just executed, which was the largest uh, CFO last year, con- collateralized fund obligation, where LPs who do not want to sell their LP interest can actually use uh, securitization technology to generate liquidity um, uh, from their private assets through the bond market by issuing bonds against their portfolio. And typically, they would uh, retain the equity in the vehicle to generate those returns going forward. Yeah. And in terms of innovation, you've seen a lot of innovation within the past 20 years. I think one of your first transactions, if not the first one, was an innovative transaction as well back in 2003. And then we've seen, you know, PREF equity come come out of post-global financial crisis. Coming off the pandemic, we see continuation funds. It's where are we in the innovation phase? Are, are, are you expecting to see kind of new pockets of capital, new strategies, new structures coming out? Yeah, I, th- I think we see, f- firstly, in terms of capital formation, uh, we see uh, many GPs who we worked with who um, uh, source 
um, cap who source transactions from other GPs realize as a hedge on perhaps those GPs not selling to them in future, they're setting up funds to participate in the continuation fund market. We see a lot of interest in in, in the yeah uh, the the c continued evolution of the securitization product. We think that will generate more capital into the market from non-traditional sources. So when we look across uh, the market, uh, both LP and uh, GP, we see quite a lot of innovation coming down the pike. So it's, it's an exciting uh, time to be in the market, exciting place to be. Do you think that trend continues in terms of the, the growth potential? I mean, like it's grown 20x, right, in, in the past 20 years, like where... I know there's been a lot of wild projections out there. I'm not going to hold you to any predictions. There's already a lot of wild ones out there. But um, it, it, like the trajectory, like can can we raise the capital? Can we find the capital? There's, you know, private wealth is another big, big theme, right? Yeah, I think that um, this is increasingly a private world. Uh, public company, the number of public companies goes down every year. And the need to generate returns to pay pensions continues. So the the move from public markets into private markets as a macro trend will continue. Also, democratization of uh, private assets with the move of uh, high net worth and retail uh, clients into private markets, particularly permanent capital vehicles, is like a snowball of capital rolling down the hill that gets bigger and bigger every year. So when we look at the amount of capital getting raised on the primary side, the secondary market is simply a derivative of that, and still currently only around 2% of the assets under management in private markets turn over into the secondary market, which is tiny for a secondary market. So we feel the upside potential um, of this market um, for a variety of reasons is all up to the right. Very exciting times. Exciting. So I'm, uh, and then also, in addition to that, I would add that, you know, the private equity market has enjoyed a lot of these innovation. It seems like it's extending to other asset classes as well. We see a big interest in infrastructure, real assets, private credit, real estate is is probably a little bit behind. So that's a time, another opportunity, right? It's tremendous. It will be every private asset class, um, every geography, every vintage. So I think the secondary market compared to, for example, if, I, if, if I'm running a U.S. buyout fund, I can do U.S. buyouts. Secondary market is any geography, any vintage, any strategy, which will naturally mean that the secondary market funds will be bigger over time, given the increased opportunity we see. Yep, makes sense. Um, so as as we wrap up, um, I'm I'm excited to ask this question. And I've known you for 16 years at this point. Um, I joined uh, right after the fi global financial crisis, so have been fortunate to experience some of the growth that you you talked about today. What drives you? Because I I think about you know all all the other folks that have enjoyed this kind of success would have taken their foot off the gas at some point, but you seem to double down every couple of years and constantly innovating. Um, well, I appreciate that, Joy. First. Um, I, I would say I'm a somewhat believer, and it's almost a joke with my team on Andy Grove's quote, that success breeds complacency. Complacency breeds failure. Therefore, only the paranoid survive. So I think one has to continually uh, innovate and do new things. In addition, that I have a very short 
attention span. <laughs> so it is natural to want to do different things and to evolve over time. And it's an exciting market. We have an amazing team. We, we have clearly the market leading team. And the, there's nothing better to work with the best people in the market on the most, import, most important and interesting problems. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Evercore Edge. We look forward to seeing you next time. Copyright 2024, Evercore. All rights reserved.